0: Same is true of this situation where they took over in Olmsted Park to put an airport into it, mm-hmm. right? And I guess the, the thing that resonates with me is that you, you want to be a good ancestor. You don't want our progeny in the year 2080 looking back and say, oh, those dopes in the 2020s, they didn't do the right thing.
1: Steve Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet at WFPR.FM and in the local Franklin Mass FM dial at 102.9. Here for the last session of this calendar year in our Making Sense of Climate series with my guide and Franklin resident, Ted McIntyre. Ted, happy Monday.
0: Happy Monday to you, Steve. Happy holidays. Happy December as we cruise through the end of 2022. It's good to be here.
1: Yes, as it's getting dark and then the light starts coming back.
0: <laughs> well, we, we, in a few days, it mean, <laughs> So, just to go off on a complete <laughs> engine, <tangent, clears throat> the solstice brings up in everyone's mind this image of Stonehenge and people with, with, you know, bear fur running around and horns on their head. And there's some sort of, but it's so profound. Mm-hmm. right And if you, if you just sort of click on it for a minute, it supersedes all kinds of stuff uh, and it it's just this tangible proof that you're suspended in space. I mean I, I, I wax religious about it, right and and people we used to have a uh, uh, a holiday party and we, this is, goes back to the 90s here with my wife and I. We would call it a solstice party mm-hmm. and people would think, oh, are you're going to sacrifice a baby in the backyard (laughs) in a fire or something. You're like, no, no, no. uh, uh, Anyway, it's a wonderful time of year when the sun turns. And it's no coincidence that Hanukkah, Christmas, Diwali, all these holidays happen just about at the darkest time of year, right?
1: Everybody's looking for the light. And what this is akin to what we're doing here. We're looking for the light in terms of making sense of climate and get away from this darkness and this this agita and all this other stuff that's happening. It's like holy cow, really? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you have to you have to cling to the to the the good things, right? Yes. What did is, what is, uh, Mr. Rogers say? Look for the helpers, right? Look for look for, look for ways to yeah. to make it better.
1: And to that end, since it's the last one, and this is number 20 in this year, it's like who, we didn't even, when we started, we didn't know we could go this far. in exactly. 20, whoa, <laughs> but there's more to come. So we'll hold that for the next time. But in the meantime, there's been a bunch of changes that have happened just since we last talked. And for the listeners, thank you for coming back. And you may recall, we last talked with our state rep, Jeff Roy. Um, and I know that we'll, we'll come back to him because one of the reports he was looking for just got released also <laughs> since we talked. So we can add that. And then I think the other big discussion we're going to have with him is it will, we'll find out whether he continues with T- TUE or not too with the new session, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There'll be an opportunity. I know he's expressed desires to continue with that and we'll see what happens with the administration and, uh, or at least the House administration
0: we're in a sort of watershed moment where the governor at least on paper has claimed to be a climate hawk right yes and, and there is a super majority of sort of at least progressive leaning people in the house and the senate and i think jeff's done a great job so far the Tue, right and mm-hmm. so we may be poised for for good stuff although mm-hmm. I, I keep coming back to the there's this famous story about uh fdr in the 30s saying you know i said i made all these promises that i was going to do great things is speaking to the uh to the advocates of at the time in the 30s saying now you got to make me do it
1: right? yes so it really goes yeah.
0: back to continued pressure uh good faith pressure to keep pushing these
1: policies and we get a frequent reminder, and I think even the weather map last week, just across the U.S., somebody was getting tornadoes, somebody was getting floods, somebody was getting other extreme weather, weather events. So clearly, overall climate is there, and we're getting constant reminders and more frequent reminders of this extreme weather. That means we got to do something.
0: <laughs> we So we're recording this just, you know, before Christmas, right? There's an article in The Globe saying that, in fact, Decembers are getting warmer yes. here in Massachusetts. And I frequently use, uh, what is it, Wonderground. The one I like is Wonderground weather forecasting, 10-day forecast. Yes, right? yeah. And last week they were predicting heavy snow for this coming Friday before mm-hmm. Christmas. Right. Now
1: it's they're predicting rain.
0: 57 degrees. Yeah. So it's going to be almost 60 two days before Christmas, Mm -hmm. which is stunning. It is. And and Anyway, put that aside. Put that in your pipe and smoke it.
1: Well, and that's one of the things, too, that I think from a forecast perspective, to the extent that the models are all based upon historical data, and we know the most recent history has been more volatile and changing, what does that do to the model? I mean, are we still gonna be within the range? Clearly there's a storm coming across the country. And the key question is gonna be what's the temp gonna be here? And the forecast said it was gonna be cold there by snow. Now it's saying it's gonna be fifty-seven. That's rain. <laughs> right? So Yeah,
0: absolutely. And it's uh I guess just one one last statement about you know, as we go forward people will sometimes say things like, you know, with climate change, there'll be a new normal in quotation marks. Hmm. And the scary part is that there is no, the new normal is that the averages keep getting worse. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're chasing this thing. So it's not like we're going to shift to something where it's warmer and stably 57 degrees all the time at Christmas time, right? It just keeps evolving. So you can't catch up with it. I mean, the, the long-term averages
1: are shifting anyway. So it's, in terms of articles and catching up, et cetera, somewhat in order. We'll figure it out as we go. But there was an article that caught us in terms of East Boston once had one of the green emerald necklace pieces. The Olmstead Park is no longer, but is now part of what we know as Logan Airport. <laughs> so it is a whole set of what was pristine green. Is now potentially contributing uh, via the airlines and all our travel <laughs> to worsening the situation. And it was just that historical perspective in regards to, whoa, okay.
0: I think these things, there's a couple other articles, similar articles, but they the nineteen fifties were a fairly destructive time. So this is the when to Olmstead just in case. People probably are familiar, but may not be familiar. Olmsted was a mid-1800s, um, basically park designer. Mm-hmm. Right, he was one Architect, of the first people. Yeah. There was not; they were not really environmentalists at the time. But he was aware of the connection to the to the real world. Right, mm-hmm. he designed Central Park in New York. He designed what's called the Emerald Necklace around, which is which is now the Jamaica Way. Uh, the Fenway, those are mm-hmm. all Olmstead parks. Right. He had a concept of a much bigger um, ring of parks that would surround Boston, uh, surround Boston, and he saw it as a common space for the working man to mm-hmm. you know, enjoy. Yep. Blah 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 blah. Well, it turns out that and so I guess the Esplanade, Store Drive, was mm-hmm. also part of the Emerald sure. Necklace, yes. right? Yeah. In the fifties. Basically, they paved the Esplanade to make Storrow Drive, and they had the insult of naming Storrow Drive after the couple that donated the land and said, never put a roadway on here, and they made a road and called it after them, right? Same is true of this situation where they took over an Olmsted Park to put an airport into it, mm-hmm. right? And I guess the, the thing that resonates with me is that you, you want to be a good ancestor. You don't want... St- our progeny in the year 2080 looking back and say, oh, those dopes in the 2020s, they didn't do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Right? You can see clear examples where stupid stuff happened driven by lack of, you know, consciousness about what would, what the consequences were, but to take a beautiful, you know, w- w- what you'd love now, right? in Olmstead mm, Park in East Boston sure. would be a wonderful thing, but now yeah. it's runway 39 West, right?
1: Right. And
0: so I guess the, the, the take home lesson for me is think carefully about what you're planning and think of, uh, you know, 10 generations hence and what do you want to do
1: with it? Mm-hmm. Because people may recall, oh, yes, the EPA came along in, what was it, 67, 68, something like that, after the Cleveland River burned, (laughs) they decided we needed to do something. And then from that, the mass DEP followed, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, now we've got all kinds of regulations around wetlands and what you could do. So that couldn't be done these days, but... It was done at that point in time. And I think one of the other articles also brought in, and certainly there's some studies around East Boston, and it's kind of the climate effects, you know, the environmental effects, the uh, environmental justice zones. There was another article in New York Times that went further into looking at kind of the suburban areas, the certain aspects of neighborhoods, and they're closer to a la the Peaker Plant and Peabody Right, where they're already having issues amongst the uh, population because of what has already been there. And now they're trying to do more. You know, these kinds of resources are now available. People need to at least be aware and start having those discussions on them.
0: There was an article in the New York Times which basically mapped how much. Carbon dioxide emissions, which are of course the global warming gas <clears throat> mm-hmm. came from different neighborhoods, and they're able to do that be not be not to go too nerdy, but I mean there are these things called census tracts where the census takers count people right, and so the federal right. government's getting the whole place broken up into these little countable things that are smaller than cities and towns, but you can track them mm-hmm. long and short of it is that it turns out. Places like New York and Boston, and I looked at the map, and Brockton mm-hmm. and Woonsocket, Socketwood Island, sure. have lower carbon dioxide emissions per household than a place like Franklin. Franklin's on the average, right? But it turns out that if you have a, a city where you don't have to drive a car, where you have public transport, where you're, you know, where you're... House could conceivably be butted up against your neighbor in some sort of row house situation, right? Mm -hmm. You have lower carbon dioxide emissions, which is sort of counterintuitive. People think uh, that, you know, it's a dirty city. go to New York, they must be burning a lot of fossil fuels there because there's all the taxis, right? right? But no, it turns out just the opposite. And so it's an interesting lesson that cities are a model for a way to live that is less carbon- emits less carbon dioxide right and that so there's lessons from that right there's lessons about how Franklin should be built if it wants to be less uh to emit less carbon dioxide Uh you want to be building more dense housing so that people don't have to drive you don't have to go to shards to uh uh but the other interesting point is that they said even within those green zones so the the map is laid out in orange and green right good is green and these are the city Mm -hmm. cities where the carbon dioxide emissions are less it turns out that there's a huge financial disparity so that people who earn more money tend to produce more carbon dioxide why is that well they have the bigger cars they take a flight to bermuda once a year they Mm -hmm. have a bigger house to heat right so There is, uh, on the one hand, there's this idea that uh, inspiration, that an urban setting of close proximity, walk to everything, walkable cities, that's good for climate. But it's also sort of this guilty recognition that people with more money produce more carbon dioxide, full stop,
1: right? Mm -hmm. There you
0: go. It's an interesting article to check out
1: and we'll include the links in the show notes so you'll be able you don't have to go googling we'll have them in, in the show notes for you uh both the East Boston article from the globe the times article um there was also some recent developments in terms of uh I'd call it activism in terms of a report had come out umass lowell report touting a bunch of things and then some research went and said oh by the way did you realize the funding was really from (laughs) another source and may have countered the or influenced the results so now that study is being looked at in quote a new light so yes there's a
0: whole ton of stuff to unpack there i mean there is there is a ton uh, just to set the set the stage right, the oil and gas utilities in Massachusetts very 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 much want to keep their pipelines in the ground and operating. One harebrained idea for keeping those pipes in the ground is to use is to introduce hydrogen into those pipes and then bring hydrogen. Gas into your house, and now you cook your eggs in the morning with hydrogen instead of a gas stove, and the utilities are happy.
1: And green gas, in that sense. (laughs) Well, they They, they want to greenwash it that way. (laughs)
0: There's a ton to unpack. They would say green, but yeah, it's probably not. Yeah. Right. Anyway, as part of the campaign, so what they have to do is to convince the public and the state government that this hydrogen idea, which. Full stop, no surprise, no spoiler alert. It's just a stupid and bad idea. We can go through why using hydrogen that way is a bad idea. But the utilities need a public relations campaign to convince the public and the the state government that hydrogen is a viable alternative. So what do they do? There's a group called the Associated Industries of Massachusetts, AIM. They basically went to umass lowell and i mean all research scientific research gets has to get funds from somewhere basically mm-hmm. and they said look you know we'd love to write this paper about hydrogen and study you know say have some sort of agnostic study of hydrogen and you know would it be useful as a heating fuel right it, and it's all sort of set up like those chirons on fox tv right where it's like you know thinking about that's already answering the question just by raising it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So what happened was some researchers at UMass Lowell wrote a paper basically saying, hydrogen's a good thing. Please use hydrogen. It's a viable way to, to stave off climate change, and Massachusetts should think about it. Fine. That was about a year ago. In the meantime, the Boston Globe... Sabrina Shankman, I think, is the yes, one who I recognize. Wrote I
1: recollect that name connection to the Very article. Very good. Yeah.
0: I mean, follow that person if you uh, if you don't already. She did a Freedom of Information um, request, or somebody did a Freedom of Information, and they got emails between, I believe, I believe it's the Associated Industries of Massachusetts and the researchers at UMass Lowell. And the researchers at UMass Lowell allowed the Associated Industries of Massachusetts to review the draft of the paper before it got published. And, of course, the AIM people came back and said, you know, we need to change this and that.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Make this a little bit stronger about how great hydrogen is. Which, of course, the problem here is that it it sort of a paper that is published by a university in a journal is supposed to be free of bias. right? Right. You're not supposed to be able to buy scientific
1: papers science uh, is science you're not supposed to color it one way to
0: be un, un, or the other and what they're supposed to do because everybody has to get money with every scientific paper you'll generally nowadays see where the funding came from mm-hmm. right because yep. they're trying to be upfront. i mean how do you do it unless you yeah right? acknowledge so short disclose of it is that once this thing was published a year ago finally someone did the freedom of information act Got these emails where there was collusion, if I dare say that word, between mm-hmm. the industry and the people writing the paper, and the paper was changed to reflect the views of the industry and then published in what's called a peer-reviewed journal. And now the journal that published it is saying, "Well, wait a minute. We need to understand more. We're going to do a little bit of investigation here and find out what the what the what went on. Right? Mm-hmm. Did did this process violate our ethics rules? Right? right? About pu- so." That's all fine. You can imagine that this discussion around whether or not a paper in an obscure academic journal was ethically published, right? You can say that's a tempest in a teapot. That's just a few academics having a dust-up over whether or not they followed the rules. But that's not the case. I saw online, so the the, world's not, the word is not original with me, but this is a billion-dollar brawl going on. Mm-hmm. Right? there's billions of dollars at stake if the utilities can maintain hydrogen into your pipe, into your home, right? Again, bad idea, but if they can pull it off, they will make billions of dollars. So this this little attempt to provide misinformation is a signal to how, how high the stakes are, that the this industry will do what it needs to to have the public relations. You know they'll wave this paper around and say, "Oh, look, UMass mm-hmm. Lowell says hydrogen yeah. is a good thing." Anyway, I get on my high horse, right? Because it's, yeah. it's, I just, it's very frustrating. But this is this. There's a lot going on with this hydrogen thing, and a lot of it is smoke and mirrors. Not very good for you. So I say, next time you hear a, a g- gas guy talk about hydrogen, put your hand on your wallet because that's what he's headed for.
1: Yeah. And even on the wind front, there was another article about uh, a, a legal challenge to the wind uh, process that actually is being funded by a group from Texas, of all places. That, oh, yeah. <laughs> and what again, Texas is also heart of the oil industry to a certain extent. So, oh, OK, yeah, they're they're using their money to come at us in whatever way they can.
0: Right. The the. the so there is this organization the acronym is tpp and i think it's
1: texas, texas public policy
0: public policy right institute yep. right funded by the Koch brothers one of whom's dead but the Koch brothers money funds mm-hmm. this thing these guys have decided that they need to stop offshore wind development nationally they need to i mean because it's a death knell for the for the gas industry so what they have done is to, basically, since Massachusetts proudly say our state is in the lead, we mm-hmm. have wind turbine things underway, These, this Texas nonprofit funded by the Kochs is suing to stop the wind turbines off Martha's Vineyard.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: what they're doing is funding what appear to be local environmental groups, Right, that are worried about the fishermen's mm-hmm. life. Oh, what about the whales and all the seagulls that are going to fly into the wind turbines? And it's a ton of money, right? That can fund this kind of thing, and it appeals to people's environmental their better sense, right? Mm-hmm. I would say, boy, I want the whales. Uh, you know, everyone likes whales, right? Sure. Uh, everyone likes the fishermen, but in fact, I the little video they put up had this fisherman guy. I'd have to dig up the link but a fisherman guy with a corn corn cob pipe <laughs> and a big beard and a you know a watch cap this guy stepped out of the a Gloucester ad right he came from Central Casting mm-hmm. like, you're not telling me this is a you know fishermen don't look like that right and but again it tells you the the extent of the misinformation and dare I say, desperation on the part of the oil and gas industry that knows their time is numbered, but they're going to fight it all the way down.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And so I think we need to be aware, right? You need to not accept, and I guess if you see this kind of stuff, talk about it with your friends and point out what a a pile of hokum it is.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, or at least if they haven't disclosed, ask what the disclosures are or could be or should be um to start doing that research and there are other sources uh snopes and uh, there's a bunch of other you know fact checking organizations that'll certainly have some of that and then if it's not available that's when the freedom of information release info info process works uh to get in behind that
0: it's one of these things where like i was thinking before that not everybody wants to know where their electricity comes from Mm. it's sort of like i keep the analogies back to the uh, shooting a rocket at the moon the artemis the artemis rocket that just went to the moon right you don't need to know all the details about exactly how it works right you can still be interested and support the whole thing right people don't you know most people are going to be exhausted by worrying about details of which wind turbine goes where but generally speaking you you support it and you should stand with it Mm -hmm. even in the face of disinformation from these people
1: and related to that kind of continuing that theme of some activists etc the uh coordinating committee of consumer liaison who provides some oversight i guess to or at least input to iso new england and we've talked about iso before and how they're kind of going the direction obviously for a few for you know fossil fuels etc um activists kind of got elected in the right way through use the process to uh now ensure that their voice is going to be part of that uh review process
0: it's this is a fantastic story and i uh, you know uh full disclosure i interviewed one of the six people uh so steve i can give you the link and you can actually hear from the from one of the people but the again this is so interesting there's so much background on this so again iso new england independent system operator of new england mm-hmm. basically runs the markets for buying and selling electricity and therefore there, the iso is the gatekeeper that would allow clean energy new wind turbines onto the grid iso new england is mandated by FERC, which is a federal agency right, right. iso new england does what the heck it wants Right? It is rather an opaque organization, doesn't really answer to anybody in New England, does not answer to Massachusetts, does not answer to anyone. It answers to FERC, right? and FERC is down in Washington. Over the decades, there have been various advisory committees and sort of groups that try to influence and give input into ISO New England. One of those is a group called the New England State Committee on Electricity, NESCO, Okay, very, so lots and lots of jargon. There's another one called Knee Pool, New England Power Pool, that has various kinds of advocacy groups, Mass Climate Action Network being one of them. Um, But then there's this other thing called the Consumer Liaison Group, right, which was started in about the year 2000, right? Consumer Liaison Group. And this is basically a toothless, Committee that was basically a compromise. I actually let me change that. I think it was around 2012 that it was set up, and it was kind of a compromise with they that advocates wanted a stronger input of ratepayer complaints, mm-hmm. and the gas industry was able to work it out with ISO that all they got was this consumer liaison group, which. Meets four times a year, right? And generally gets a uh, gets a a speech from the CEO of ISO, mm-hmm. right? And they have a little presentation about what the future is, how great the future is going to be, right? Yada yada yada, right? So there's this committee <laughs> which has basically sat fallow for a long time, has zero decision making um, ability, right? It's just advisory group. Mm-hmm. So in November, they had their annual meeting. And this group has, in the past, has been so small and unpowerful that anybody wanted to be on the consumer liaison group could show up to this meeting in a hotel in downtown Boston, and they'd have a big vote, right? And you would mm-hmm. get twelve people, and then you would go to sleep for another year, right? right. And that, uh, but this time around. A group called No Coal, No Gas, which is a a non-profit here, decided to bring in a slate of people. They wanted to get on this 12-person board. They had six people that they brought in. They did everything above board. They signed up on time. Mm -hmm. I think the clever thing they did was they only advertised to their own group.
1: That right. So, so
0: there. suddenly now this sleepy little committee, here's an influx of people that found out about it from um, this uh, environmental nonprofit. They go into the hotel room and they are able, through their numbers, to elect six activists to this consumer liaison group. Uh, and I, would just say, I took personal satisfaction that one of the people who lost election, who got voted off the consumer liaison group, is the president of the Associated Industries of Massachusetts, who we just spoke about we in terms mentioned. of the law, yeah. <laughs> effect, right? And you say, "Well, wait a minute. What's the president of the Associated Industries of Massachusetts doing on the consumer liaison group? How does that match up?" Yeah. Anyway, he got voted off, right? So now, what's great? What's now is that this this group, if it can play its cards right, to my mind, could start to hold public hearings they can do whatever they want they're the citizens liaison group Mm -hmm. they could go into a town and uh talk about you know how much people are losing money because we don't have green energy right? right they can do all that stuff and while it is a purely political position right there's no authority to to force anything they can expose and make this iso more transparent by showing off what they're doing so mm-hmm. and the thing of it is it was all grassroots organizing they took the place by surprise they got the people elected and it's just a remarkable story so it's mm. a good thing
1: yes good for good for the little guys in that case absolutely yes yeah. they right. coordinated and they did what they needed to do so on the, the positive side for there for sure um on the big public policy side and again we taught, talked about, you know, having Jeff come back because uh, he's going to still have some stuff going on the wind front and et cetera. What else is going to happen next year? <laughs> but one of the conversation items we had with him, I think it's right around the time when we were talking, there was indications that because of some of the uh, economic changes due to Ukraine and the oil prices, a couple of the wind developers were starting to indicate they wanted to either renegotiate and or, back out of their contracts uh that had already been said and i know jeff said well the contract's a contract (laughs) you're supposed to have figured out that when you agreed and signed up for the contract and yeah it may be short-term impact but you got a long long current contract anyway um that's come back again (laughs) so yeah stay tuned there'll be more happening on the contract front with the wind
0: yeah i think that 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 wind turbine blade keeps turning doesn't it right it's like yeah. the, the so the company that has got cold feet is called avongrid they are responsible for a wind turbine development one of the fairly big wind turbine developments that would come online sometime in like 2027 they signed the contract as you say just before putin invaded um uh, Ukraine and before mm-hmm. the, infl- the uh, interest rates started to rise, then right. so all of a sudden they're looking and saying, "Oh my God, you know we can't make money," or they. Uh, the way I would put it is, they're looking at the contract and saying, "We don't make enough money. Right? Right. <laughs> we need to make some more money," right? And uh, I think that uh, the state is right to hold them to the contract that they signed. But the bigger question is, is this a one of? circumstance or does this portend ill for the entire east coast wind turbine project right because this right. yeah. is wind turbines going in up and down the east coast we talked mm-hmm. a few weeks ago about the backbone of a high voltage cable that would run up and down the east coast to collect sure. all this power right yep. so does is this is this just this special case of course if someone were to do it in the future they would t- take into account the new interest rates right (laughs) but i mean that's that's why you have an excel spreadsheet to figure out what these options are and Mm -hmm. but yes we should be tracking this going into the future the the vibe that i've gotten is that this is a one of there's not going to be a long-term uh black eye for the wind turbine industry right because there's so much momentum behind it globally right they'll Mm -hmm. find ways to make money right there you go we need to pay attention to this going forward
1: well, and there's more lease areas, I believe, coming up. More contracts coming up next year too. Um, one of the articles I recall saying they wanted to quote stop this one, but bid in that one. Which, um, you, but you already have a contract. That's a problem. <laughs> you can re you can bid new on that one if you want and expand further. That's okay. But yeah, so
0: well, I, I think I think what it does is it it we should be honest and say probably what this rising interest rates and all that kind of stuff is going to mean that the electricity, the cost of electricity from these wind turbines is going to be somewhat higher than it would have been otherwise. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how it's going to compare to electricity from natural gas, because that's going crazy too. Right. But the, the, the state state of Massachusetts had imposed rules saying that each new wind turbine proposal had to be less expensive than the one before it, which is a tough nut to crack. Mm -hmm. especially if the interest rates go up so i think that as citizens we need to be sympathetic to the fact that the the cost of these things may the cost of this electricity may change because of the interest rates and that's the way of the world right Mm -hmm. that's just we can't pretend that's not a possibility
1: no no yeah the entire cost of living certainly with the quote current inflation and inflation somewhat of a lagging Detail anyway, because it takes a while for that data to accumulate. And even though I think even um, was well, the Social Security and Medicare et cetera had a greater social, uh, cost of living increase this time around because it was based on data from earlier in the year. I think when we look even at the gas pumps, they're 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 more than last year, but they're considerably less than they, what what they were earlier this year. I mean, we're certainly not in the five dollar edging to the five dollar range here mass that was feared before so yeah it's a moving target um but that's that's why we continue to talk about it find out what's going on get the latest and the greatest um going back to the new york times there was another article that i shared with you this morning that had a nice easy and we will include the link because we do recommend people go and figure it out it's like about 10 12 questions on specific topic areas and you can uh guess or you know make your choice as to what is in the aspects of and we'll pull up so we'll pause temporarily yeah, i
0: mean it's it's a list of potential climate actions that you could do and the question is how important do you think this this particular one is i mean of all the things so if dear listener, if you just stop for a minute and said, gee what can i do to uh combat climate change do something about it right you could probably list up three or four different things that you might think about doing right turn the heat down turn off your lights uh put in leds all that kind of happy stuff how much does that matter right At what level does it matter so i think that's the the concept behind this interesting list of questions steve right
1: yes yeah that's the concept and i think it's good for one of the approaches that i've been thankful for you helping me is to make sense of the climate issues that are out there this i think takes it to that other level what can i do what can we do you know at the individual level to do that okay So do you buy fewer things? What impact does that really have? Turns out, at least according to the survey, it really doesn't have too much impact. And a lot of people think it has more impact. So that's food for discussion. No pun intended, because food is also on there as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think that you I think you just hit on it. Each one of these things brings up a whole set of background that you can then discuss whether or not that's really really true Mm -hmm. so is buying fewer things really? it is this 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 little test which i encourage people to take says if you buy fewer things it really doesn't matter that much but most people think it matters you know i would take issue with that i think that there's this hyper consumption of stuff that people tend to do without thinking because we're so privileged in the u.s we're just Mm. buying a bunch of junk right that then sits in the attic and like if you didn't buy that it wouldn't be coming from china right they wouldn't be burning coal in china to make this little widget for you and then put it in a boat and all that kind of stuff so you know buying fewer things i think if we thought about lifestyle if you translate buying fewer things into Mm. how do you live your life I think it's a bigger impact because then that would ripple through other, other things. But yeah, I still think like buying, what is it? Fast fashion where you buy something and you're going to wear it for three weeks and throw it away. Right. That's just, that's craziness. And I think that,
1: yeah, so that's, that's definitely a first world problem to coin to pick up that term because yeah you you have to be able to afford that and you're fortunate obviously to do so but you should be making some better choices <laughs> well know, there's i there's think an, i don't
0: know steve if you wanted to talk about the last one but i mean that's the the confounding one that uh, that people probably don't appreciate right
1: Well, I was noticing as we were rereading this, and again, we're looking at the screen on the particular survey, you listeners will get the link and you'll be able to go through this item by item. Um, And it's quick and easy. You just make your choice. And then it tells you immediately whether you were right or wrong. And then where you stand and where the topic stands in terms of the American Mindset which I think is one of our overall themes is, well, we all need to agree. (laughs) This is the way we need to go. How are we going to get there? Do this now or do this later? This helps us. But both the vegetarian diet and then a vegan diet, which an organic food, those certainly are diet-related pieces. And there are nuances of difference between vegetarian, organic, and vegan um, and there are varying impacts as well so it's it's going to be literally food for conversation hopefully around the holidays as you've listened to this and then sat with the family and then the relatives and your friends and you're having a, a liquid libation maybe and <laughs> getting into a healthy discussion and keep it healthy please and safe
0: <laughs> well I mean, I think I think there's a couple of sort of for me meta messages from this kind of quiz one is that, it's mostly f- focused on personal things that you can do. Right? Mm-hmm. One of the, one of the questions in here is not, you know, vote for a climate friendly candidate. Right? right. I would argue yeah. that, that, you know, personal activism and systemic change are enormous levers of things that people can do to address climate change. And that that's an ongoing long-term debate sort of over, know should you put solar panels on your roof and say i'm done with climate change because i am getting my electricity from the sun or do you do we need to have a systemic change so that everybody gets a solar panel right those are i think the other thing is that there's lots and lots of small changes that we all need to accommodate that we need to uh, begin thinking about there's no silver bullet here anywhere Mm -hmm. and that that That's just, again, a sad reality, right, that we need to we need to think about our lives in a new way in order to take into account the new reality that we're in.
1: Since we're following the roadmap as we get into next year, which is 2023, we're one year closer to some of the guideposts of 2030, certainly 2050. What kind of progress have we made on it? Um, where are we? What are the concerns? And I, just in recapping the 40 minutes we've had, there's there's some progress. There's some other issues still remaining there. And yeah, I just hope the people can use this as a guide and the survey as well to further those discussions, because ultimately that's we need to decide, we need to figure it out, and ultimately we need to take action sooner or later. So since this is our last one, thank you, thank you, thank you, Ted, for helping me this this year. And I'm sure we'll have a few more. <laughs> Who knows how many we'll have next year, but we'll have a few more anyway.
0: <laughs> See, this is so much fun. I think that it's uh, uh, it's a great thing. And I look forward to chatting again in the new year.
1: Well, thank you again, listeners. Thank you, Ted. And we do this because Franklin Matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.